Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio, Radio Crackle, one or the other. Uh, your tuning app in, I don't know, wherever else it is. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, New England Zone Band Helsink. With me, all the way from across the pond, is the most fascinating Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good evening. Can't we just say, hi, I'm Ron Kolek, and joining me, and my co-host is Steve Parsons. Wait a no, minute. Waste half, so. What, waste half the show in the introduction? No, no, no. People, All right, then. people would complain, so that's... Would they? Let's have a poll in the chat room. Would you complain if we shortened Ron's introduction? Wait a minute, there's two people in the chat room. That's not my... Yeah, thing. that's me and, and you. You're, you're one of them, so forget it. <laughs> well, there are. I voted to shorten the introduction. Yeah, too bad. It's already right. done. So anyways, uh, here we are moving along, and um, I had a fascinating woman on the Ghost Chronicles morning show. Uh, she is a rescue medium. Did you ever hear of that, Stephen? Um, no, but I know plenty that could require rescuing. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, From themselves, mostly. Yeah. Uh, they deal with, uh, you, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with the concept. Oh, you are? Oh, absolutely. Oh, why don't you let let our listeners know what it means then? Well, yeah. I mean, as I understand it, the British uh, equivalent of a rescue medium is uh, they go around uh, basically sending people to the light. Yeah. yeah. Moths to, like, you know, sort of letting out moths, I suppose, isn't it? I, you know, I mean, that, that it's an anathema to a ghost hunter, of course, a rescue medium, because, you know, our job is to go and investigate these cases and to study, you know, people's uh, experiences of ghosts right. and hauntings. Yeah. Then along comes a rescue medium and spoils the whole, sh- whole thing. Because, yeah, put, you know, a, like, put us out of a sh- job. Yeah, shoot them off into the light. I mean, what are we supposed to do then? Stand around like, uh, you know, just twiddling our thumbs? Don't know. Don't know. Very, very... Oh. In fact, there are par- there are paranormal groups who do exactly that. They go along and they uh, they conduct their investigation, and then whoosh, off to the light oh, with the with the poor ghost. You know, I mean, has anybody ever considered the ethical and moral uh, problems that, that rescue mediums engender? Because has anybody ever asked a ghost if they want rescuing? You, know, know. you can't just go along to a haunted house and then you know, like, oh, off you go. Well, I don't want to. I'm here. I mean, you know. People say that ghosts are there for a reason, that they're haunting the living, that they like the location that they've come Mm -hmm. back to. You know, they want to hang around. They want to see what happens. And then, you know, medium comes along without a buy your leave. There you go. Boom. Gone. All gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's it's an absolute moral and ethical nightmare. Yeah, it's it's, uh, interesting, though. I mean, of course, they always use that line... uh, uh, you know, we can't really chase them out if they don't want to go. So, you know, if oh, it doesn't okay. if it doesn't work, then you know that works. You know, there's their uh, out. 
<laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Well, they just didn't want to go. Nothing we could do. Oh well, at least they at least they have choice. There you go. So, anyways, we have a kind of interesting show tonight, and uh, you know, there are so many different places that are haunted. You know, from graveyards to battlefields to castles and jails and. How about music calls? Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know what some of my favorite ghost stories are? Theater ghosts and, uh, you know, if you say uh, musical ghosts. Uh-huh. I so anyways, well, we have a, a gentleman on the line now, uh, and he is the director of the Cincinnati Music Hall, and he is, oh, my God, I'm going to butcher this name again, Scott Santangelo. Scott, are you there? Close enough. That's excellent. Yep. Oh, wow. Must be, uh, I must have been possessed to get it right. <laughs> there you go. You're channeling. Yeah, that's it. I'm known for not getting names right. And that's, uh, he is. He is. Yeah. So, anyways, in fact, Steve usually apologizes in advance. So, um, uh, that makes me feel good today. I must uh, the stars must be aligned. So, so Scott, you are the director of the uh, Cincinnati Music Hall, right? Yes. And I assume that's in Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes, it is. National Historic Landmark Theater. Okay. So, um, you know, it's, it's really f- interesting because when I first started doing paranormal investigating, uh, you know, it, r- it was really looked down upon. I mean, people really didn't want to talk about ghostless. Uh, you know, it was a scary movie or something. But now uh, it seems to be embraced by more and more of the mainstream. In fact, as I was talking to you on the phone, I'm the director of the uh, Friends of... Portsmouth Island, uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, and uh, we are using ghosts to uh, help preserve these landmarks. So uh, I understand you do that a little bit with what your with uh, your group as well. Well, I think we started from the same place. Uh, I've been the director of operations here for ten years, and we've been doing what we uh, call our ghost tours for the past five, and they're very popular. Though I'm not sure. It would have occurred to us to do those events had the public not expressed that interest and basically, you know, wanted us to develop an experience for them after the normal hours. Um, you know, tours before that were typically nine to five, Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, by demand that you you got involved with us. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that, you know, if you manage any type of public assembly facility, that, you know, it's incumbent on you to, to keep your ears open to what the public is asking for, what they're looking for you to present. And, of course, the history, the paranormal story of Music Hall's history has been well known for several decades. And there are a lot of historic antecedents for it. But I think, as you said, you know, for many years, people just didn't talk about that. You'd be branded as, you know, uh, uh, branded as a, you know, that that wasn't something you talked about in polite company, to to put it in another way. But uh, that's changed dramatically over the last several years, and there's been a real resurgence in the public's interest in all things um, paranormal. And uh, I think uh, it's you know, been a well received here, so we're we're happy we had the opportunity. Excellent. So, why don't you give us a little bit of history of the music hall itself, aside of the paranormal? The, the okay. Uh, 
Well, uh, Music Hall was built in 1878. Uh, Cincinnati, back in um, and, uh, the turn of the century, 1800s, was on the western frontier, basically. And as uh, the city grew up, um, the, the areas to the north of the core downtown were developed. So where Music Hall sits, we're about 15 blocks north of downtown, 14 blocks north of the de- core downtown from the Ohio River. And uh, on the site had been a pauper's field, a burial ground for the poor, Across the street uh, was formal cemetery ground for three churches in the area. And then behind what is today Music Hall was the Miami and Erie Canal, man-made waterway from the Ohio to the Great Lakes. And across the canal was the city's first hospital, the city's uh, Cincinnati Commercial Hospital and Lunatic Asylum. Uh, which was variously used as an orphanage, as a poorhouse, and what uh, was known as a pest house or a place they would send people with infectious diseases. Um, so as the city grew up, uh, these uh, cemetery and burial grounds were displaced, and a park was built over the old uh, church cemeteries. That's now today Washington Park. And then um, uh, on Music Hall site, first an orphanage was built, uh, partly in response to a cholera epidemic in the 1830s, quickly outgrew its capacity, uh, later raised, and on the foundations were constructed a a pre-Music Hall called Sanger Hall, very large choral hall, and that subsequently gave way to the construction of the permanent Music Hall which for many decades served the city as its first convention center. So um, we're not like the Lizzie Borden house in the sense that one thing happened here that everybody points to and says, aha, that's why you have strange phenomena. We've got multiple tracks contributing to those stories, the hospital, the poor house, the orphanage, the pest house, the pauper's field over which Music Hall was built, and, of course, the cemeteries that were located across the street. And um, it's a well-established fact that there are and were and are still human remains in those, uh, in those grounds. So all of that has fueled um, the, the many, many, many stories that have accumulated since before the hall was even constructed which makes it, you know, really a fascinating story when you string all those stories together. Right. I mean, you know, England has its hundred, well, old castles, but, I mean, not many have stories like that where you have uh, so many, uh, you know, different things in the same location. Do you, Steve? Um, well, actually, because we're quite a small country, so we, we kind of do have a con- uh, sort of constant, concentration of accounts and uh, different situations that are located very close to one another. A lot of our castles will have burial grounds associated with them or even inside them. They'll have churches there. They, they'll often be built uh, very close to a town or a, or a village. 
so we do have some similarities. But what what is interesting, and what I would like to speak to Scott, ask Scott about, is we have a you know many theatres, musicals here in the UK as well. Uh, the ghosts that haunt them tend to be related uh, very closely to the actual building, to the theatre. To the to the staff that work there, and most notably to some of the famous performers who seem to, in death, return um, to the sites that they that they performed in in life. Is that the same situation uh, there, Scott? Um, well, I think uh, perhaps in part, though the most of the stories don't specifically relate to anything performance related. Now, I'll, I'll immediately qualify that by saying, yes, there have been phantom cast members reported. There have been individuals or figures seen sitting in the boxes at Music Hall. Um, the one story in particular uh, is a, a very uh, prominent example of that. So I think, in part, you're right. Many of the stories of uh, uh, encounters relate to... Um, the activity that would normally take place inside the theater. But then we have others that very clearly, at least in my mind, relate to the orphanage. Uh, we have uh, little children, and specifically um, sightings of little children in tattered or disheveled clothing. And the foundations of the original limestone foundations of the orphanage uh, were left in place, and music hall was constructed above them. So, and then, of course, the pauper cemetery occasionally, as foundational work is done, it, uh, other human remains are uncovered. So, uh, it's pretty clear that there are activities relating to uh, uh, eras of the of the site's history prior to the construction of the music hall. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, what about what about notable characters? Um, I imagine that there have been some very famous people that have played at the music hall over the years, names that would be familiar both sides of the Atlantic, perhaps. Do any of those have associations with with, uh, reports of uh, them returning? You know, I don't think, again, I've been here 10 years, I've heard many, many stories, but I don't think I've heard a single story that attributed any sighting to a celebrity. Now, Music Hall has had the full range of of celebrity performers. Several presidents have uh, appeared here giving lecture or speeches, campaign events, uh, uh, celebratory events, dedications, uh, virtually a who's who of musical performers uh, from all uh, all genres. I mean, Music Hall is home to the fifth oldest symphony orchestra in America, the second oldest opera company in the country, and the longest-running choral festival in the Western Hemisphere, the May Festival, for which the hall was originally constructed. But I've not heard anyone relate a story story, uh, that was associated with um, a past conductor or some other celebrity figure who'd performed here, at least not yet. Okay. Eric, so. Kun- Eric Kunzel, the former Pops conductor who recently passed away, uh, I have high hopes that he may make an appearance <laughs> yet because he spent a tremendous amount of time in the hall and had a very deep personal connection to the building 
And um, he was also a very uh, firm believer in the halls uh, having other occupants, shall we say. All right. And Houdini, I don't suppose, has shown up either. I, I no, we haven't had any sightings. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, and the place has been, I assume, investigated by many groups. Oh, yes. Uh, most recently, the Ghost Hunters group. We were featured in, on their Halloween program last year, and uh, they definitely, um, uh, you know, came out with some findings from that investigation. And well, I mean, you. So, when you first took over this job, were you skeptical of the paranormal, or uh, never thought of it, or were you a believer? Of you know, what what was your your status? Well, to be honest, I, I think I remain uh, a skeptic in many ways. But as I've told uh, uh, many people, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we've had confirmed skeptics have experiences here that they could not really explain away. And I think those are some of my favorite stories, that something unusual, really unusual happens, and they're stuck with finding a, a quote-unquote logical explanation. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the reality that we don't understand everything. I mean, we have very limited capacities as, you know, primates to grasp things beyond our immediate senses. So that being said, I, I certainly will allow for uh, the unknown, though I'm not entirely certain I'd attribute it to a supernatural cause. Uh, but again, I think... That's not really important. For us, uh, it's a fascinating alternative history that we um, have. Uh, again, it's not any one. If it were one account for one instance, it would be much more easily discounted. But it's not like that at all. I mean, we have stories from before the hall was constructed to the present day. And uh, on the tours, we have people have odd experiences. They'll share those with us. So I, I think that's really what keeps the public engaged and what makes it um, an interesting one is that it apparently is not over. And continues. So the people that work at the Music Hall, have they, uh, how, did, how do they feel? I know you have, you know, uh, door sets that uh, do the tours and stuff, but uh, just the regular people that work the tickets uh, or everything, uh, how do they feel about it and have they had any experiences? Um, well, I think there's a general awareness and understanding um, of the his that history of the building. Um, many members of the staff in different capacities have had their own experiences, which are confirming for them. Um, but, uh, again, we're, the experiences that are uh, um, reported here, if I could characterize them as uh, not frightening ones, mm -hmm. they um, no one's... Um, had a fatal accident here. No one had the sandbags don't fall like in the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera and, and, and hit people on stage. Uh, lights don't, you know, shatter and crash. So, in that respect, I think no one feels um, put off or threatened. 
But I think there is a, a broad awareness of the fact that, yeah, there is this alternate history. People are mindful of it. So new employees are often heard to say, well, I haven't had an experience. I haven't seen anything. Whereas mm-hmm. other employees who have been here a longer time will you know, say, well, I had, an experience. I had something happen to me. And they'll, they'll share the, the incident. Um, we had two uh, ladies sitting in our coat room during an intermission. And they were talking about whether they believed or not and stories that have been related to them. And in this coat room, which is a windowless uh, space, um, uh, they said a hat came off one of the top of the coat racks, came over another coat rack and landed on their whatever they were doing, notebooks or between them. And that obviously got their attention. So, and how do you, did both of them make up that story and agree that they'd share it with others? I, I doubt it. So it's things like that which continue to fuel the, um, the mystique and, you know, add to the many other stories uh, about music hall and uh, strange happenings. So um, it's a self-fulfilling perception in a way, but I think in part it must be based on an observable reality that people have, so that which makes it even more interesting. Steve, I mean that must be interesting for you because I know parascience loves the locations where there are many reports. Uh, does that fit in your category or? Well, absolutely, because one of the criteria that we look for is not just the historical context. Uh, you know, people have people who have reported phenomena that go back decades in many cases, but also the contemporary uh, accounts also. Um, and so, yeah, that's exactly the sort of case that we, we, we that we would be uh, looking for. And also, whilst looking, I was looking in the chat room, and we have an interesting question. Um, from from Nathan, who's who's asked Scott, uh, do you leave a ghost light on at stage uh, on stage at night, or when the stage is not in use? And that's something I've never heard of the ghost light. So, well, of course we do, and that's not um, it's a theatrical uh, industry colloquialism. It's uh, I think there were many um, historic. Uh, uh, it's like a green room. Where did the green room get its name? Uh, you know, that's where people got paid. It was the color of money. Or the, the, the carpet in that one room was green. But the ghost light it, it serves an immediate and practical purpose because it's left on stage in the event that emergency responders, fire department, comes into the theater. It's dark. We don't want someone falling over the edge of the pit. Mm-hmm. So, which isn't fenced or otherwise screened. So, it's a it's a safety light in some respects. Other uh, historic theater parlance would suggest that theaters that were dark weren't making money. So, this was a superstitious way of ensuring the theater never went dark. Um, oh. As a theater manager, I think I fall more on the safety side than I do on the. Uh, on the other, but yeah, the ghost light's a term, and actually a lot of theaters have fun with it. I was on a conference just this past summer. I was in a brand new or newly renovated space, and they had drawn attention to their ghost light and had a little plaque referencing it. (laughs) 
so there's a lot of fun in the theater of you know explaining what it is and why it's there. But as a practical matter for the theater staff, it doesn't have anything to do with the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I think personally, I like the I like the romantic idea that it's a light left on for the ghost. I, it's not a term I've heard before. So uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the theatres here in the UK use uh, ha- have a similar tradition or a similar idea. But it's just I'm sure we got it something... from you. Thank you. Yeah, but I, I mean, strangely, I mean, I've I've investigated some theatres, but it's not something that I've, uh, I'd ever come across. So uh, it might be an American uh, term. Term. It might well be. It, is it? A white light or, or is it red light? Literally, it's the most basic stick with a raw bulb on top. And some even modern theaters will, you know, honor that tradition and make it not much more than that. So there's nothing grandiose about it. It's literally a simple light on a stick. And for us, it's a safety precaution. Uh, in the event someone wanders out on the stage and it's dark, we don't want somebody missing the edge of the pit and tumbling into the orchestra. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the patrons at the theater, and I know we're coming up on break in a couple of minutes, uh, the, the, have you ever received reports from patrons at the theater, at the music hall? Oh, uh, we have. Would you care um, to expand I, I don't bit? know that it relates per se, to activity going on inside the theater during a performance. Mm-hmm. We've had um, ushers report uh, singing from one of our upper levels prior to doors being open. When it, that was investigated, there was no one there. Um, we've had a lot of uh, phenomena reported from the audience chamber, but I don't really think, I, I'm trying to struggle to remember when a patron relayed an experience they had while they were attending a performance. I'll have to, I have to give that a little thought. Okay, not a problem. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, and I know I want to get a, a little bit into, with the t- you, you mentioned children, that, that the thing that uh, haunt, perhaps haunt the theater. And, uh, but it, it, I, I just want to really get into what was the, the most interesting backstory to the, the hauntings, but uh, I'm not sure if we have enough time. I know we're running up very close to break time right now. So before we give that, why don't you give out your website and uh, where people can uh, uh, find more information about the music hall. Sure. Well, our website is uh, CincinnatiArts.org. So C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-A-R-T-S dot org. And you could type in ghost in the search feature. We that at least will bring you to the information page for our ghost tours. And then occasionally we sponsor a paranormal investigation that's led by a local uh, group here. Oh, that's excellent. And uh, you also have, of course, you also do regular events, too, which is uh, orchestras and so forth, correct? That's our stock and trade. There yep. you go. <laughs> uh, orchestra, symphony, pops orchestra, the May Festival Chorus, which opens this weekend, um, and, of course, the Cincinnati Opera. And then many other events uh, filling in between everything from weddings and corporate functions to um, uh, concert events. Oh, excellent. And uh, that's all on your website, so uh, people can check out there. Anyways, we have to take a break right now. Can you hold on till after the break? Absolutely. All right, thank you. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Parasciences, Steve Parson, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolak, right here on Tojinet 
Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio. And, and lots of other places available in all good bookstores. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Wherever. We're all, yeah, whatever. We'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to Family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Kola, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Menace. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Tokenet. Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your TuneIn app or catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. Ah, tea. The best thing you can do with boiling water and some chopped up old leaves. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, we're back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International with New England's very own Van Helsing and apparently me, the ghost hunter from West Wales, and our very special guest tonight, Scott Santangelo, who is the director of the historic Cincinnati Music Hall in Ohio, uh, a place where I've been. So I kind of know roughly where Scott is. Um, before the break, we were t- 
talking about uh, the hauntings at the music hall, and Ron was about to try and ask about the children that have been reported haunting the music hall. So uh, we got a bit cut off by the break. So, uh, Ron? Yes? Do you want to continue with your line of questioning? I suppose I should. I suppose anyway, you should. <laughs> anyway. It's not just thrown together, this show, you know. No, no, it's well planned. Yes, well planned. Uh, anyways, nailed. <laughs> Scott, so you mentioned uh, children earlier, and as you thought that they were one of the, the ghosts that haunt the uh, music hall, uh, are they the predominant ghosts? Um, well, there have been many um, reports of strange phenomena, and um, of all of those strange reports, um, the, there are several relating to children and sightings of children and sightings of children in period dress. So in our estimation, these uh, relate to or arise from the orphanage, which had been on this site uh, mentioned, you know, in the 1830s, cholera epidemic hit Cincinnati. A lot of people died, but a children made homeless. And they built, partially displacing the Pauper's Cemetery, uh, an orphanage on the site of what is today Music Hall. Um, one story relates to uh, an electrician. This is probably 15 years ago, installing conduit under the stage in the basement areas. And he was down there for three days, and when he came out or finished the job, he was talking with our technical director and saying, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, you know you have a little girl in the basement. And the technical director said, mm, what, what are you talking about? And he claimed that while he was working, he, over his shoulder, realized that a little girl was sitting there watching him work. And he described this little girl uh, fairly in great detail. Uh, he said she had on a dirty dress. She had matted, dirty hair. She had bad teeth. Um, and she never said anything. And he uh, would continue his work. When he'd get up to go to lunch, she'd be gone. When he'd get back to work, he'd be there for a few minutes, and then he'd get the sensation that someone was watching him, and sure enough, this little girl was there watching him work. So that was the story shared with the technical director. So you can discount that, right? So a few years ago, we had Daughtry, the American Idol contestant, performing mm -hmm. at Music Hall. The stagehands were showing their families around the backstage, and um, we're going to walk them down the ramp, which leads to the basement area. And one of the wives of uh, was uh, reported as saying, hey, I don't think we should go down there. The little girl said bad things happened down there. And uh, the stagehand looked at the woman. He goes, what little girl? She turns to point, and she said, well, she was standing right there a second ago. So I, I can only imagine what might have happened to a little girl in the basement of an orphanage in the 1830s. That could not have been a good experience for a child. Um, again, that's built on the site of the Pauper Cemetery. And if you were unfortunate enough to die in the orphanage or the hospital, it's very likely your remains would have ended up in that cemetery. 
Um, there's also been reported sightings of a little boy who plays hide-and-seek in that part of the building. And the stagehands for years have uh, occasionally reported seeing him pop around to look at them and then disappear. We've had other stories of a mischievous little boy who will ring the box office buzzer outside of the building. When they respond, no one's there. This has happened on snowy days when it was easy to ascertain that no one had approached the window. Um, and then there have been sightings over the last couple years from our security staff outside the building, and they have spotted uh, on one occasion at the back of the building a little girl in period dress was observed. You know, we're a theater, so people in costume, not that unusual. Uh, the security staff thought she had gotten disconnected from her family. They approached her. She turned into what we call an alcove which is where we park vehicles at the back of the building. There's no way out. There's no doors in that alcove. And when he approached the alcove, there was no little girl in a period outfit. So things like that give rise and, and perpetuate the, the, uh, the stories relating to children here. Now, I, I know from, from uh, my own research and investigations, the theater tends to be the home of many superstitions and the, the performers themselves and indeed the staff that work in theaters have many superstitions, little things that they like to do in a particular order. Is that the case uh, in your music hall? Um, I'm not so sure it is. Uh, again, the inside the theater, um, the person who had had the most experiences, sadly, is no longer with us. His name was Roger Adams. He was our technical director, probably logged more time in the building than anybody in our generation. He actually witnessed uh, a phenomena um, come up, float up through a shop space, and then go out onto stage and then disappear. We've had other more, uh, you know, we've had security guards who've had to stay overnight in the building to watch a particularly valuable set piece, something like that. And they've reported hearing uh, whistling on stage when they were the only ones in the building. Um, whistling is an old, uh, you know, during the early days of the theater, sailors were often employed to manage the rigging, which is of hemp, and used whistles to communicate um, the signals for the raising and lowering of the set pieces. So that was an interesting juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. uh, outside the building, we have people have experiences too. Um, extremely cold spots on hot days. Uh, you know, that's unusual in and of itself. And um, uh, shadows uh, passing. So there are phenomena reported inside and out, though. I haven't really corresponded any of those to theater routines, uh, per se. Has anybody ever said the uh, the forbidden um, word for the for the M for the Scottish play? Oh, <laughs> I don't think that's as much an American thing as it might no? be in Britain. No, no Macbeth. I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard it said on American pro uh, television programs referring to the theatre and theatre ghosts that um, the, you know, the, the superstition about the Scottish play continues uh, your side of the Atlantic as well. And I've, um, well, I've always been I think tempted we might, to we might have dodged that a little bit because we're more a musical facility, uh, opera, right. symphony, 
choral music. We really aren't doing many stage plays or other theatrical productions. Those are much more infrequent. So, so no sort of superstitions um, related to musical uh, as opposed to theatre? Uh, I think it's pretty widely understood that the phenomena that are reported here predate the construction of the building that we know as Music Hall. I understand. Mm -hmm. understand. So I think that uh, we have layered on top of literally and figuratively those Uh stories and have have then, of course, the audiences and staff over the decades have added more stories. I understand. Has has, uh, security cameras ever picked up anything? Um, no, but we don't have cameras inside the building. We've got cameras uh, that um, look at exterior entry points and provide us other views outside of the building. But we're routinely not using them inside. Now, there have been some very interesting photos taken by a variety of different people uh, not related to the building. I mean, people not related to the building. So on a tour... We had a lady take a picture of our ballroom, which actually is not original to the building either. It was added in 1927. But uh, in that photo, you can clearly make out the head, shoulders, and torso of a figure below which there is nothing. So that's one of the most interesting photos that's been taken. Uh, There have been others that have been debunked. Um, there's a phenomena called paradelia, which, uh, you know, if you see a crater on the moon and it looks like an Aztec temple bust, that's paradelia. That's the mind assigning rational order to something that's otherwise chaotic or disordered. Um, so we've had photos like that submitted to us for review. Look at this. Do you see this? <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, basically a, a woman's hair done up in a bun, and depending on how you look at it, you can see one of several things. Yeah, ghost um, hunters usually see the uh, the things that they want to see most. Well, actually, it was our ghost hunter group who debunked that and said, no, that's not, that's not phenomena. That's not, we don't believe that that's an actual good example. Whereas this other photo I described... That one they, they, they like. That one they feel, hey, that one's a lot harder to explain and a lot clearer. So I, I think we have both the apples and the oranges, uh, <laughs> and we have both, both ends of that spectrum. So when you do these tours, and uh, I assume that the patrons take photographs and everything else, and they, they get like an orb or something, and they get all excited about it, do you, how do you handle that? Well, photos we usually don't see until well after the fact. Uh, Sometimes a patron may send us an image and say, hey, I was on this tour, I took these photos. A week later, I looked at them, and I thought you'd be interested, and maybe you can, you know, give me your opinion. Mm -hmm. So we have a few of those. But we also have patrons who have experiences on the tours, and that's a lot more fun. Um, And in some ways, it's a little frightening. I meant uh, one gentleman felt something or someone messing with his hair. Uh, there wasn't anyone around him. And he, he made a point of calling that out when that happened to him. Other people hear whispers. Um, so there, there have been phenomena reported by people taking the tours, which 
I, I assume you're catching people at their impressionable best. Nonetheless, uh, you know, I, I, I don't get the sense that these people are fabricating it just because. So, you know, that's, we, we make note of that, and depending on how good their story is, we may or may not integrate it into a future tour. Is somebody, uh, do you, have, you say you've got a paranormal group that you're working with, and I, I assume the music hall itself is interested in the reports of the phenomena. Uh, are you maintaining some sort of diary or, or uh, journal relating to people's experiences so they can be documented? Um, not formally, but we've developed a relationship with one of the groups who approached us very early on to hold their own paranormal investigation of our building. Um, and I think that's where a lot of facility operators get drawn into the topic, is they're approached by third parties who want to do unusual things. You know, we rent the facility for private functions. Um, but it's, it was something novel to be asked to stay overnight for the purpose of conducting a paranormal investigation. That doesn't, that peg doesn't fit well within our, our standard halls. So I, I think it didn't take us long to realize that, okay, look, it's a rental. Let's make the theater available and let's figure out what costs are associated with the staffing that's required to, you know, facilitate this as a rental. And I think once it's viewed through that lens at a very practical operations level, well, certainly that's what we're there to do, is to make the theater available to the public for special events. So really it's not much of a reach to um, look beyond uh, someone approaching you to say, well, maybe this has broader application. Maybe there's a general interest which we explored, and it certainly resonated well with our community. I think there was, a, there was an interest, uh, and it was a fairly broad and deep interest, saying, you know, we'd like to experience the hall in a, a non-traditional way, and everybody likes a good ghost story. So mm -hmm. for us That's in the true. operations department, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, because it's not that we're hardcore skeptics, but it's just not what we live and breathe every day. So, but again, we've been doing this since 2010. We've come a long way. We've had a lot of interest uh, from a lot of people in um, in participating in our tours and conducting their own paranormal investigations. So, I think it's uh, now nicely integrated into our normal uh, calendar, and um, the interest has not dropped off. So, to the extent the public wants to continue to do this, we'll we'll be there to support it. So if there was a paranormal group listening to this show and they wanted to rent, they would approach you about renting the hall for the evening. Is that how it works? Yeah, we've said we've developed a model by yeah. which um, a group can come in. Uh, typically, we go from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. A, a lot of people don't really understand the costs involved. I mean, they don't, they don't appreciate the fact that, look, if you're on the stage, that triggers the jurisdiction of the stagehands, you know, at the hourly rate with a minimum four-hour call. That's just one labor dynamic that has to be yeah. taken into consideration. Then, of course, uh, you know, we'd like to have a, a uniform security outside as people approach the building at 8 p.m. in the evening and then exit maybe 1 or 1.30 a.m., 
mm-hmm. into a neighborhood. Um, and then we have a, a either typically the group we've worked with, our local paranormal club, is now very familiar with our building, familiar with the hot spots, the the reported hot spots, and can save groups who want to do this time to understand what are the areas we should visit so they can utilize that five hours in a very efficient manner. Um, But as I've often been told, ghost hunting is, what, 98% sitting in the dark waiting for something to happen? Pretty much. (laughs) You know that, and again, but Music Hall's a very interesting, it's actually three separate buildings that from the outside appear to be one big building. And there's a lot of different stuff going on here. So we've got stories of phenomena in almost every area of the theater. So groups can really tailor their time to favor one or another. Um, And it's been helpful for us to work with this local group. It's the Cincinnati Research and Paranormal Studies Group. Mm -hmm. Uh, They provide us a ready base of uh, volunteers in support of these programs. Because obviously we're a nonprofit organization managing this historic landmark on behalf of the city of Cincinnati. And um, they can provide docents. Uh, For our own paranormal investigations, we charge a flat fee. uh, You buy a ticket. And then uh, we only sell 24 of those. And then we divide that group of 24 into three groups of eight. And uh, based on, ideally, you know, their experience level. You don't want to put a very experienced ghost hunter group with all their own equipment with people who are borrowing equipment have never done it before. So that's worked out really well, and um, we've benefited from our uh, partnership with a local club. Well, you seem like you've got it really in the hand, and and, uh, and actually that's one of the – the best models I've heard because, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, different things with different um, nonprofits. And uh, especially coming in the first time, they, they're not aware of what ghost hunting is, but you've got it down pat now. And, uh, uh, you know, it sounds like a really neat operation and sounds like well, everybody Well, that's, that's, para- that's for the paranormal investigations that we sponsor. And we don't do mm-hmm. too many of those. We maybe do two, maybe three uh, a year. Now, the ghost tours we try and do once a month, and those are those are open to a larger group of people. So every uh, we try and do it on a Friday evening, and we do two tours of forty people per tour. So, and those are two hours long, and that's a combination of uh, a traditional history, but mixed in with that, um, in each of the rooms we pass through. We share all the paranormal stories, supernatural stories relating to that area with that same group. So it's a, a combination tour, and of course, we set as many of the theater lights to as low or off as possible. So that's a very different tour. Forty people going through the building in the dark, effectively, right. uh, telling ghost stories and sharing the history of the building, and that that's been very, very popular. So uh, how much are the ghost tours for you know, our listeners? Uh, the two-hour ghost tour is $25. Okay, that's reasonable, very reasonable. And uh, we're going to have to say go- goodbye to you shortly because uh, we are ending up at the end of the show. Um, if all this stuff is on your website, which is? 
CincinnatiArts.org? Yep, CincinnatiArts.org, yep. Well, I actually got that. Scott, anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye to you? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, Music Hall is an amazing place to work. The ghost stories here are uh, make it that much more of an interesting place to work. And um, the whole staff here has just invested in the success of the building. We're actually looking forward to a major renovation that will start in uh, May, uh, June of 16 and take over a year to complete. So we're going to be stirring up a lot of things here. So we're going to try and do some hard hat tours throughout that period and then come back and pick up where we left off. I, I got one quick Excellent. question for you now that you mentioned it. Have you, I don't know it's how hard to measure, but uh, have you, you think there's been an increase in the amount of uh, paranormal experiences since you started uh, embracing it or since before? No, I don't think so at all. I, what I do firmly believe is that um, up until relatively recently, a lot of people would not share these stories. They, it wasn't you wouldn't want to say that you had that experience. You'd be branded as a nut. So, but I think there's been a much broader acceptance, and now you'll see people almost sheepishly say, "Well, you know what? Actually, I had an experience, and here's what it was." So, I think more has come out recently. But I don't think that's because people are having more experiences. I think they're just feeling more comfortable sharing them. Okay. Scott, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. And, thank uh, you so much, Scott. Yeah, thank you and both. We wish you the best of luck, and I hope you, uh, the Cincinnati uh, Music Hall thrives for many, many years to come. Well, I hope you visit us, and please stop by when you do. Thank you very much. Have a good night now. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Good night. Wow. Well, that was, that was cool, huh? That was very cool and very interesting because, you know, we, we it's something that we do have uh, in common. Um, you know, we've got the castles, uh, you you have uh, the Native Americans, and there are so many differences uh, between the ghost cultures of the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, but I think one thing, you know, theatre and musical, we do have in common. And you heard Scott say that, you know, a lot of it is uh, relative to the United Kingdom. Um, and I think that's something we, you know, we, we have the modern day equivalent, don't we? You know, people still go to the movies. People still go to the theatre. Um, you know, people watch The X Factor. People like these variety shows. Uh, America's got talent. Britain's got even more talent. Uh, you know, we... <laughs> We we are fascinated by, by that shared culture and uh, theatre ghosts. You know, I don't know of a single theatre almost in the whole of uh, our islands here that that doesn't have a ghost or ghost story attached to it. But do do they embrace it like uh, the Cincinnati Music Hall does? Um, many many of them do. Um, there are certainly theatres and music um, uh, that that do trade um, and do allow investigations. Uh, on our part of this sort of routine circuit, uh, you know, the every weekend ghost hunting circuit that does go on. Um, there are others. There are there are many many other theatres uh, in which no investigation has ever been conducted, and yet there are good stories attached to them. <laughs> 
Um, there are even pizza parlours that ring bells while you're in the middle of, of talking. That was the weakest bell I've ever heard. I know. That was a pathetic pizza bell. Pathetic. I, there must have been I, a... I, I, we'll have to have a word with production about that one. That was, I don't know, the, the quality of the pizza bell. Probably, probably the pizza boy was a little nervous with all those goats talking. You know, like, oh, okay. You just can't get the staff these days, can you? No, 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 no. So anyways, Pizza from the Dead's here, which means we've got to wrap it up. But uh, got anything else coming up? Uh, we um, well, of course, we're we're only almost literally now days away from the release of Paracoustics. Um, hopefully, it won't come out oh, as that quiet. Book as yours. That book, of, well, it's partly mine, um, and I've just finished Word ninety one thousand three hundred eighty two of Ghostology. So hopefully that'll also see the light of, you know, what it was because you know, sharing this show with you for all these years. And you keep constantly reminding me about all of the books you've written. And every time I turn right, the third shelf up at eye level is The Ghost Chronicles, Ghost Through a Day, and a whole lot of others by by a chap called Van Kolek. Yeah, whatever. And I thought, you know what? I've got to do something. You know, when I first met you, us, I am the only one that has nothing to sell. I got no books. I oh, know, I know. It's down the that, tubes. It's I down know, the tubes. it's gone. I mean, that was my <laughs> proud boast. I could turn up and say, do you know what? I've got nothing to sell. Yeah, next thing you'll have a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, 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 Wait a minute, I gave you one. Yeah, which doesn't say parasites on it, though, does it? What does it say? What does it say? Uh, Do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah it's, it's... Well, if, if, I, if I wasn't wearing headphones, I could actually get it. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what it is. Uh, but unfortunately, if I, if I no, no, try to right. reach it, I twang anyway. the headphones. Yeah. So that was cool. So next week, uh, you, you asked me last week if we could get a UK paranormal investigation team. So, yes! Um, you know... <sighs> It's a, it was a difficult choice because we do have a lot over here, but you know, there's quite a few I wouldn't well, we have let a lot on the radio. Yeah, besides, but there's a lot I wouldn't let on the radio. You know, they've got to get past the more, gatekeeper. You're more picky than I am. I know they've got to get past the gatekeeper, but next week we do have a, a, a group and uh, we'll be joined by a UK paranormal investigation team, Tom O'Warrington from the guys over on the opposite side of the country from me. Oh, yeah, Tom O'Warrington. He's my friend on Facebook. There's the music, so we got to go. Cool. Bye, me. Yeah, so uh, till next time, good night. God bless, everyone. Good night, God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.